0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course, the best fans in the country, all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer-Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are, it is finally here. The first round, the official fir, full first round of the NCAA tournament is today. Um, Kansas is in action today, There's a whole bunch of other teams in action today, um, you know, half of the teams will actually get to play, and we'll get to see them, and a whole bunch of those teams will go home, and a whole bunch will move on, of course, all this general stuff, but to help me talk about this, to kind of preview the bracket at a super high level, but then talk specifically about where KU's at down in Fort Worth, a man who's actually on location there, um, you know, with with his other job, of course, but definitely there to help us give us that inside look uh brendan drzinski he is one of the analysts here at blue wings rising but also is co-host of the afternoon show over on uh 580 sports talk in topeka brendan how you doing today
1: i'm doing well andy thank you as always for uh, for bringing me in and yeah this is my favorite time of year all the different stuff we cover over the course of the year getting to travel with ku for the big dance is always the best part of it so it's good to be here in fort worth Uh, Beautiful weather down here, which, of course, I'm going to enjoy. But uh, it's just good to be back after two years with the canceled tournament. And then last year, uh, us low-level media types didn't get to go and cover the bubble tournament in Indianapolis. So it's good to be back. It's good to enjoy it. And uh, just good to see all sorts of high-level basketball happening all over the place. And knowing that a wave of it is coming starting on Thursday.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and, and I mean, honestly, when I was growing up, this always has been my favorite time of the year because basketball is definitely the, the sport I love the most. Um, but then West, this, like this is the time of year why I actually got into covering Kansas and covering college sports in general because this is like the best weekend to be involved. It's super hectic, super busy. There's tons of stuff, and I always plan out probably about 15 times more stuff that I want to do in my coverage than I can actually do. Um, that's how excited I am about all this stuff. So I'm glad that you're there to give us some additional information to kind of be there as kind of the eyes on the ground for us. So talking about the bracket as a whole, though, before we dive into what's happening down there in Fort Worth, um, when the brackets came out, was there anything either that hit you immediately or anything in the last few days that you've come to realize it's like big, gigantic stories in this bracket that we all need to make sure that we're paying attention to?
1: So the two just instant themes I took away when the bracket came out, and I remember we're watching the selection show, my fiance and I, and we're done with the, the West regional on CBS. And I looked at her and I say, this bracket is awesome. Like this region just rules. Look at all the potential upsets. These matchups are great. And at the same time, I look at the entire 68 team field of eventually 64. By the time we actually kick games off on Thursday in the main part of the bracket. And I feel like there's the opportunity for a ton of fun matchups and chaotic early round upset potential. Yet at the same time, it's also very chalky. Like I look at the regions and the draws for KU, obviously the one in the Midwest for Gonzaga for Arizona and to a lesser extent Baylor. And I think, man, not, you know, usually you get the number one seeds and yeah, you're the favorites to get to the final four because you are the four top seeds in the event. But I look at Gonzaga's and I think, man, I think there's a very realistic chance they'd be, you know, three or four teams to get to the, Final four that they absolutely should beat KU. I've seen a lot of arguments about this. I have seen or have heard even just on our show out at Topeka, five of sports talk, people, including my own co-host say, this is the easiest draw KU could have gotten. And I don't like to say easy when it comes to the tournament because nothing is easy. Maybe it's a little bit more favorable matchups wise, but there's nothing easy that comes with it. I think Arizona has got an extremely favorable draw. I think Baylor got the short end of the stick getting Kentucky as their two. But even so, I think they might walk right into the Elite Eight in a matchup with Big Blue Nation. So to me, the overall theme for this bracket is there's a lot of potential for early fun, for fun this weekend, Thursday, Friday, and then into Saturday, Sunday as well. But also, I think, just an air of chalkiness. And I feel like that's the way people have predicted this too. And I don't know what you've noticed, but in the various pools and bracket groups and challenges and whatnot that I'm a part of, feels like a lot of people think this is finally going to be the year when we get three, one seeds back in the final four, maybe even all four one seeds back in the final four, it's kind of that weird mix that we don't normally get of, wow, so many different things could happen, but also in the end, all of the best teams are truly going to get to the end.
0: Yeah. Not, not counting the people that, you know, just love to pick up sets all over the place and, you know, have like a seven and a, and a 12 in the final four, or something stupid like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Something overly optimistic like that. <laughs> um, I like, I think the general consensus from most people that I've talked to is, you know, you're looking at ones and threes or ones and twos in those final four, or I'm sorry, in those elite eight matchups for an opportunity to go to the final four. Um, you know, I will say like Baylor, I think Baylor has a harder road, not necessarily because of who all is in their bracket, because, you know, the biggest thing that I always have to remember, you know, when I'm looking at the bracket is that you really only have to worry about one you know, as as number one, only have to worry about one team from the bottom side of your bracket. Like you you look and like it could be the two and the three could be stacked. You could have a, a killer number six. You know, you could have a seven that could potentially run to the final four. You're only going to face one of those teams. So it really only matters when you're looking at roads for that. I think Baylor is the one that probably has the most question marks surrounding their road to the final four. Not because of who's actually in the bracket, but just because of the injury issues that they're dealing with, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. Um, because they are down in Fort worth where you are covering stuff. So that, that was definitely one of the big stories I think from, from the, the press information that came out, but specifically though, looking here, like, you know, I'm, I'm struggling kind of like you to figure out which teams are p- possible of upsets, right? Like there's, there's like North Carolina that could potentially upset Baylor if they get super hot, but they're a super streaky team and it's going to require Baylor to be dealing with injury issues. Like, I think the, the one thing that jumps out to me is that I almost feel like the crop of threes with the exception of Wisconsin is stronger than the crop of twos. <laughs> like I, if, if you took all three of the threes, uh, like, so if you took Purdue and you took Tennessee and you took Texas tech and put all of them on the two line and left Kentucky is the only one there. I don't know that I would know the difference. Like it would feel like that was actually correctly balanced that way. And that they received it correctly at that point to me. Um, so it's really weird to look at these brackets and kind of see how everything's seated out. There's not really any huge issues with seedings themselves more like there's, there's a few arguments to have about some of the lower level teams, but when you're on the bubble, you kind of open yourself up to that. So that's not like a huge argument that I want to, you know, hash out at, at any point with anybody at this point, because, you know, I, I did think it was funny that Buzz Williams went absolutely ballistic. Well, he, he went way overboard, I think in his press conference, talking about how they should have, you know, they, they should have been in the tournaments like, you know, that's the way it works, unfortunately, for some people. So, but anyway, um, now that I've gotten off on a completely random tangent, was there any particular team that you think is heavily favored that shouldn't be or a team that a lot of people aren't really paying attention to that, that has a chance to make a really, really deep run?
1: You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like we almost have some reverse psychology we're dealing with this year. You know, the one matchup in the first round that comes to mind instantly is the 7-10 in the south that's ohio state is the seven loyola is the 10 everybody is picking loyola because a they are a lower seeded team who people know because they've had a recent success that leads to everybody picking them and also they're really good i mean that's a really good program that has despite changing coaches from Porter Moser, who I think is a phenomenal coach. Obviously he's now at OU. They bring in Drew Valentine and I'm not going to say they haven't missed a beat, but they've been really darn good. It's the first time they've been to -to back-to-back tournaments in 60 years nearly or 57 years, something like that. That's a good team. Ohio state. Meanwhile, Limping into the tournament, and you think, okay, struggling Big Ten team in a conference that historically, at least in recent history, has not been good in the Big Dance. Last year, the Big Ten was absolutely awful once we got to the tournament in Indiana against a team in Loyola who a lot of people like to root for, who have, you know, the, the mascot, essentially, in Sister Jean, a program that people know about as a smaller team from a big city, so they kind of have a built-in bandwagon fan base, and I'm from that city, so I would certainly know about that. You kind of forget those dudes play for Ohio State because they are elite athletes. Ohio State has a borderline first-team All-American caliber player in EJ Liddell. They've got draft lottery caliber players on that team. So I think you look at some of those matchups, and you kind of think, and, and the other one stands out, you mentioned, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, Texas. I think a lot of big 12 folks that, yeah, Texas fraudulent, Chris Beard, that Texas hired the wrong coach from Texas Tech and, you know, Virginia Tech's playing so well. There are stats out there that prove being super hot going into the big dance doesn't necessarily mean anything once you get there. So I look at the super common upset picks, and that's why I kind of call it the reverse psychology this year that, Oh, may, maybe the 10 seed Loyola could be dangerous and they go on a big run. Well, everybody's picking the 10 seed over in the East bracket. Everybody is picking Virginia Tech to knock off Texas to the point where, well, maybe not everybody, yeah, but a lot not, of people for certainly sure. <laughs> are. So I think you end up in this situation where so many people are picking upsets because of first impressions from earlier in the season or because teams got hot in their conference tournament. Those are the games I think you have to look out for. And again, why I think, this might end up being both a fun but also very chalky bracket that I feel like teams that have legitimate talent are kind of being overlooked. And the one thing you always want to look for is teams that can hang their hat on something. And you know, you, you mentioned that the the two seeds might actually be weaker than the three seeds this year. Like Tennessee, there's no reason Tennessee oh, yeah. should have been a three seed. I mean, that is absolutely preposterous. And a lot of people have said Wisconsin is a fairly weak three seed as well. But at least for Wisconsin, you can point to, all right, well. They never turn the ball over, and they've got Johnny Davis. So they've got something they can hang their hat on. Those are the kind of teams that I still think have a chance. Now, a lot of people also like Colgate over Wisconsin as a big upset in the first round. But if you look at some other teams, like Villanova's good. They shoot free throws really well. They're one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country. They might be number one in the country, in fact. But, I mean, do they they scare you? Like, is there anything else to hang their hat on? That's something I've really focused on this year is who are teams that do something or have someone who you can rely on to go make a play or a specific team trait that puts them above everybody else. And some of those higher seated teams might not have it, but they also still have more natural talent than some of these underdogs
0: everybody's rooting for. Yeah. The one thing I will say, like specifically with the Ohio state and the Wisconsin, I think a lot of people are looking at them and feeling that they're overseeded, especially relative to who they're playing. like, Loyola Chicago is right now, I believe they're like 14th at Ken Palm or something. or no, I'm sorry, uh, 24th at Ken Palm, but they're seated as a 10 seed, which like is just saying that you would slot them in somewhere around third, like 38 or 40. Um, it feels like they are underseeded. They're also rated better on Ken Palm than Ohio State is. Like that, I think that's part of the reason. So I don't even know that I would consider that one to be an upset. You know, every year you have a few of those picks or I'm sorry, a few of those games that are an upset in seed line only. And, and and this feels like one where I actually haven't looked at the line for this one yet, but I would not be shocked if Loyal was actually favored in this game, um, going into this game by like a point or so, just because of the way that they profile out. Um, Wisconsin is actually even a worse team, according to Ken Palm, than Ohio State is like they are 33rd in Ken Palm, which is absolutely crazy. I don't think I've ever seen. A a a three seed that's been that low in Ken Palm since Ken They're crazy
1: lucky too. They're they're right. lucky indexes off the charts. I mean, it's yeah. not quite Providence, but it's darn close.
0: Yeah, Providence is another story as well. Like, they are also one that I think is ripe for an upset because there are a four that's ranked number forty eight in Ken Palm. So it's like, I think that's where most of the disconnect is as more and more of the public is embracing the advanced statistics and kind of looking at these and and treating those as a sanity check, there's some things that don't really pass the sniff test that that so like I'm not necessarily so worried about those being like people just wanting to pick an upset. I I do think there's actually legitimate reasons why you would pick those. Um, That being said, usually when everybody jumps on a bandwagon or something like that, that that's the perfect time for it all to not happen. And then everybody is upset because their brackets are busted really, really early. Um. So speaking of that, though, like of potential upsets, I do want to focus in on the Midwest bracket because I, I you know, I, I actually did the preview for us over at Blue Wings Rising that kind of looked at this bracket and broke stuff down. And I had a really hard time with this bracket because it feels to me like this bracket is full of while the overall level of the teams aren't necessarily as good as the overall level of teams in other regions. I think they all either match up really well against KU and like the one specific thing that they do fantastically or or they have a clear identity as a team that is absolutely phenomenal at one specific thing. I'm thinking of South Dakota State, who is like the best three point shooting team in the nation. Um I wait, they're either one or two. I, I don't actually remember. but um, I mean, they have two absolutely legitimate sharpshooters that that can just absolutely light it up. you know, i I think they're gonna get past Providence, and then I'm really interested to kind of see Keegan Murray and Iowa go up against that three point shooting team, like, the funny thing is, Iowa has, has to get past Richmond, another team that has a really good three-point shooting presence. And so, like, you know, those, whatever team comes out of that and potentially has to face Kansas is going to be a super interesting matchup. It's going to be a high-powered, you know, super offensive, really entertaining game, Um, you know, unless Kansas is losing and then all of us Kansas people are going to say it's the worst game ever. But, um, you know, Before that though, like Kansas has to get through San Diego State potentially, who has a phenomenal defense. They're like number two in the nation. Like it's just weird that there's a lot of varying things, like teams that do so many different things really well. And that's like their niche. And that's what worries me looking at the Midwest and why I, I kind of pause a little bit when everyone says, Oh, they have the easiest draw. Like this is the best draw possible. But they have the most varied draw, I think, as well, with so many different types of pl- game plans have to, to plan for. And so many teams that do something legitimately at an elite level that could be difficult for Kansas to navigate.
1: Yeah, and I'm right there with you. And that sort of takes me back to my point about, you know, looking at teams that can hang their hat on someone or something that they just do at an elite level. And you mentioned San Diego state and we'll get to them and Creighton in just a little bit, but you know, San Diego state will slow everything down. They want to make games slow and defense heavy. And that's not necessarily a great fit for KU this year. You know, you look at Iowa, you mentioned Keegan Murray, one of the best players in the country, maybe the best player in the country this year, first team, all American. He's going to be a consensus first team, all American that Iowa team. Their offense is absolutely sensational. Now they do not have a track record of, postseason history really at all but they've got an unbelievable offense South Dakota State you mentioned them they are just an incredibly efficient offensive shooting the ball team and got to give a shout out to Zeke Mayo Lawrence's own as well who had a 50 40 90 freshman season for the Jackrabbits I mean that is a really good offensive team and you mentioned how well they shoot the three they also don't rely on it you know they're not a team that's putting up just ridiculous threes constantly game after game. They take them a little bit more selectively. You go down to the bottom half of the bracket. and Like you mentioned, KU will only have to face one of these teams, but you look at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's got another player who's in contention to be the best player in college basketball this season in Johnny Davis. I take a look at Auburn, and I think their guard play, not great, but also you've got Jabari Smith down low, who's been streaky at times, but you've got also seven-foot Walker Kessler, who – in a rebounding matchup with David McCormick might be an extremely difficult matchup. I think for David McCormick, I mean, there's different ways you can spin all of these games, but when you pointed out, I I like that point you make, that it's a very varied region that every matchup feels like it could be a little bit different, but there's always that one thing you're going to have to take away. You know, that's actually something that uh, the Creighton folks speaking today down in Fort Worth were asked about, you know, taking stuff away and uh, Johnny Jones also of Uh, Texas Southern who KU is obviously playing coming up on Thursday night was talking about, you know, KU trying to take things away and what are you going to try to take away from KU? it's almost like a football matchup. You know, that's always in the NFL. What's been said about Bill Belichick is, well, he's so great and his teams are so great because they take away your number one weapon. If you're a running first team, they're going to force you to pass. If you love to throw to the tight end, they're going to make you throw outside the numbers that kind of feels what this bracket is like. Like everybody's kind of got that one thing that makes them a challenging matchup. And I think for KU, the fact that they're playing better defense, the offense has been good. If not, game to game a little bit streaky over the course of the year really half to half a little bit streaky over the course of the year VLA is like probably the most complete team but there's something in darn near all 16 teams in this quadrant of the bracket where you say all right that might be a little tough it might be a little bit tough to slow down well or a little or possibly a lot when you're looking at something like the Iowa offense for example
0: yeah I mean I, I and I think we'll we'll talk about this as the tournament goes on I think the one thing that Kansas has going for it and I think what they showed in the Big Twelve Championship against Texas Tech is, you know, if their offense is performing the way that it should be, it doesn't really matter what the other team is doing well, because they're just gonna blow right past you. So that's definitely something to kind of keep an eye on. But um I do want to turn specifically to that game, what to potentially be looking for, you know, for those of us that are gonna be watching that San Diego State and Creighton matchup, um, that's also gonna be happening tonight. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. Homefield Field Apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, all kinds of stuff over there. A hundred different schools plus, um, and they're adding more schools all the time. They just got done with a whole bunch of basketball, big new Saturday themed uh, releases that they had. UCLA was the last one. But Kansas is a part of the lineup now, which means that they have Home Field Magic going into the UCLA tournament here. And for the month of March, they are actually doing their promotion. They are calling it the third month mania because, of course, they don't want to use copyrighted terms. But they've got some really great things happening. They have mystery boxes starting Sunday night, 7 p.m. So by the time you're hearing this, it's already going on. They're going to do a limited run of mystery boxes. Um, they are only on until Thursday at noon. They have seven different options. So you can get T-shirt boxes or combo boxes or a whole bunch of other stuff. They will pick randomly from the warehouse a bunch of different great things. That they have huge discounts on these items. Uh, you won't know what's coming, but it'll be a, a fun surprise for you to go ahead and open them up. For example, one of the boxes is three t-shirts for only $45. Um, that's a fantastic deal. Great stuff for you to you know find a new random team to kind of root for. If something happens to the Jayhawks or another team to root for in addition to the Jayhawks while you're there, uh, they're going to have a bunch of other discount codes. Of course, you can use our our discount code, promo code shock 12 to get 15% off your entire first order. Um, and of course, all orders over $100 get free shipping. They're going to have a whole bunch of stuff going on there. They have you know a handful of hot market shirts as different teams are winning they're going to be you know uh, doing new things and and hopefully a team that wins a national championship if it's the jayhawks maybe they'll have a national championship ship shirt that comes out so head on over to homefieldapparel.com take a look at everything that they have all the fantastic stuff they have jump on there use promo code chalk 12 get 15 percent off your entire first order and all orders over 100 get free shipping this is brandon phoenix aka i also hate pit joined by my brother Jeremy, J and Fiend Phoenix, we are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. And we're back here with Brendan Dworzynski, analyst here at Blue Wings Rising, and also, of course, uh, afternoon co-host over on 580 WIBWFM over in Topeka, Brendan, you are down there watching practices, watching like everything that's going on there, kind of taking in everything related to to, to what's happening. Um, real quick, before we talk specifically about KU, there was obviously the big news that Baylor is going to be without LJ Crier uh, for this first weekend at least. Um, the way, like the the sense you got from them talking about it, how how worried should Baylor fans be, or those of us that are Big Twelve fans that want Baylor to do well? How worried should we be about that specifically or the matchups that they have coming up this weekend?
1: Yeah, so I was sitting in on the uh, press conference when Scott Drew was asked about LJ Cryer's availability, and he he was pretty quick to say, yeah, he's out this weekend, that he's not going to participate. Then there was the follow-up that, well, what does it look like for the future for LJ Cryer? And it sounded, at least to me, somewhat wishy-washy about what his future might actually look like and how likely it actually is that maybe he could come back second weekend if Baylor is able to get to Philadelphia or should Baylor make it to the final weekend of the tournament what LJ Crier might be able to do and to be blunt I don't love their chances to get that far if they don't have LJ Crier at the same time yeah I mean, the other thing to keep much-
0: in mind is that like the last half of the conference season that was the constant refrain of like a, he's day to day you know we're expecting him back at any time now it's just a matter of getting him like it was kind of reminiscent of, of what we heard from Bill stuff about Remy Martin. It was just a matter of when was he going to be available? This feels a little bit more serious though. And the way he's been talking about it, I don't actually expect him to come back at all the rest of the season. I would not be shocked at all. And of course that depends on their season actually going longer than this weekend. You're as you pointed out.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we know how much better Baylor can be with him, but really you look at this Baylor team and I'm, I'm a Scott Drew hater. I mean, I respect his coaching ability. I'm more just and put off by how strange he is. I vividly remember the 2017 tournament. I was the one who asked him in the, uh, his press conference on whichever day that was, hey, why did you go into the KU locker room and congratulate them? Why would you do such a thing? Like, he's just so weird it puts me off. But also, I mean, that program was absolute dumpster water when he took it over and in an absolutely horrible hell-like place and he got them to a national championship in year 18, I believe it was last year for him. I mean, he's a phenomenal coach and has done a great job with that team, even with all those guys they lost after that national championship year. You look at the the Davion Mitchells and the, you know, the Jared Butlers and everybody they lost. They had a great year. They're not ever going to be what they could have been this season because they had all the injuries over the course of the year. I still think losing Jonathan Chumwachachua pretty much knocked them off of the, precipice of the legitimate title contenders. And I know you might say, well, he's what the fourth best player on that team at best. He's the best big man, though. I I think JTT is a better player than Flo Famba, for example, even though I said that right after JTT got hurt, and then Flo Famba roasted Kansas in that game down in Waco. But I think losing him has been huge. LJ Cryer is such a good, solid, complete all-around player. I mean, he does so many different things well that I just don't see this Baylor team Being able to hit its possible ceiling, you know, compare that to last year. It's pretty much the exact flip side of that, that Baylor had that COVID-19 pause late in the year. We all remember KU beating up on them at Allen Fieldhouse on senior day and Marcus Garrett putting the clamps on Jared Butler. And I mean, that was an extremely fun day for a KU fan. But then we got to the dance and then all of a sudden Baylor, you know, got the last infinity stone and was able to take off and get to the national championship. I've never seen a Marvel movie. I don't know if that reference made sense. I've just it seen actually it did. I that. think that
0: was hilarious.
1: <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm very proud of that one Then I'm going to put that one for uh, notch on my belt for that one. But I mean, that's what it was for them last year. They had the issues and then everybody got healthy and then they took off and they cruised to a national championship This year, it feels like it's just been such a continuous, well, we're missing a few guys for this game, and oh, we don't have these guys against KU the first time at Allen Fieldhouse. Then Jonathan Chumwachachua gets hurt, and he's out for the season with that horrific knee injury. And now Cryer sounds like in all likelihood he's not going to play for however long Baylor's in this NCAA tournament. It just feels like they are never going to quite hit that peak, and that's why I think their ceiling is probably second week in it. Hey, you get to the Elite Eight, the year after you made a national championship and lost all those dudes, that is an unbelievably good year. Elite Eights are good no matter what, but I don't really feel, given what we know about this roster right now and about Cryer, that this is a legitimate national champion contender.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to see them going that far, mainly because of who they have in front of them and, you know, c- combine that with the injuries. But, I mean, I, I, I do think that they have a better than not shot of actually getting out of this weekend. It's just a matter of how far can they go with all the issues that they've been having. So, um, all right, let's 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 flip over to KU now, or at least KU's area, because uh, Kansas is going to be the last game of the night on, well, tonight over on True TV. So but before that there is the San Diego State Creighton game. I'm fairly certain that pretty much everybody's going to be watching that game beforehand, not knowing whether Kansas is actually advancing. Although if you're that worried about Kansas advancing, um please, please find some help because you, you I think you might need it. Um but no. <laughs> like this is a like watching this game, what should people be looking for from either of these teams? What should they be like watching out for to try to give them some sort of sense of what might be coming on Saturday.
1: Well, we talked about it earlier. The fact that San Diego state's defense and just sort of a general commentary, watch the way they defend and why you have seen people, some of us at blue wings rising or why you've seen the likes of Jesse Newell at the Kansas city star. People mention, Hey, that could be a difficult matchup. Just watch the way they defend and why They are the number two ranked defense in the country, according to Ken Palm. The only team they're behind, at least at my last check, Texas Tech. And we know how good Texas Tech is on the defensive side of the ball. So just watch them and the way they defend and the way they take you out of your stuff, the way they frustrate opposing offenses and really grind games to a halt. I mean, this is not the Malachi Flynn, San Diego State Aztecs of a few years ago. I mean, this is a very different looking team. So the commentary for the Aztecs is pretty much just watch the way they defend because their offense is not good. I mean, if you want to look at the Ken Palm numbers, Uh, They do not like San Diego State one bit. And frankly, having watched San Diego State, I don't like their offense one bit either. I don't have numbers to prove it. I'm just telling you, not very fun to watch. So that's going to be the thing they've hung their hat on all year, and it's what they're going to hang their hat on if they want to make a run at a Sweet 16 and get past KU, should they get past Creighton. Now, the more interesting team to me, truthfully, Andy, is Creighton, because Creighton for forever has been this offensive-minded, Three point shooting, scores the ball really well, kind of team. They're much more of a defensive-minded team going into this year as well, especially compared to their previous iterations. You know, Doug McDermott ain't walking through that door, but they do play really solid defense. And the player to watch in this game, if you've been watching Creighton, you've been watching Biggie's basketball all year, you know this name. But Ryan Hawkins is an incredible story. I mean, he was a division two player at Northwest Missouri State, which is effectively a division one program they win every damn national title at the division two level and he was arguably their best player even though he didn't win player of the year the last couple years that was his teammate Trevor Hudgens well he's one of a couple guys from D2 who transferred up to D1 you also know about Cam Martin who's redshirting for KU this year he was the MIAA player of the year at Missouri Southern uh, a couple of times all league player those guys can score the ball and it shows you how good that D2 league is and I'm not trying to go all you know Pay attention to D2 basketball here. I'm just telling you, Ryan Hawkins was that guy at that level, came to Creighton, and has been that guy again. He's a smart, solid rebounder. He's an awesome scorer, a good finisher as well, Uh, has an interesting story. He's actually deaf in one ear. Fun fact, not a lot of people know that about Ryan Hawkins, but he's an extremely talented player. He's my one guy to watch. One, because he's just a fun basketball player. But two, I think his scoring offensive ability is going to be the X factor in a game that probably is not going to have a ton of points unless it goes to an overtime or two. So he's the player to watch, but really just watch the way these two teams defend, specifically San Diego State on that end, and see why their length, why their defensive athleticism, defensive prowess could be that difficult matchup for KU.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely, you know what, the one thing, though, that jumps out to me the most about Creighton, when I went and looked at their page, they have three Ryans in the starting lineup. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> like you were starting to talk about Ryan and I thought I knew where you were going. I was thinking you were talking about Ryan Nemhard, And then I realized, Oh, wait a minute. No, you're talking about a, a different Ryan entirely. But uh yeah, no, I, I do think that that's kind of the thing to look at here. It was weird. Cause I was listening to a, you know, a, a big East Twitter space on selection Sunday, like trying to get some, some insight into potentially Providence and Creighton. If, if cans were to, to face them. And I was, I found it strange how they were talking about how good Creighton's offense can be. When I look at the numbers and I look at what I've seen from them in box scores and things, it's like, I just don't know that I see it. So part of it too is like, they, they definitely seem to be one of those teams though, that are, that are able to kind of turn the defense that they have into offense, not necessarily with steals, but with, you know, good solid defense that they can then turn into quick points going the other way. Um, which is a little a little strange to me, kind of looking at their profile and seeing it that way. But um, it's definitely something that Keynes would have to worry about. and and we'll we'll talk more about it if Creighton's the one that that actually gets there. But, uh, yeah, I just uh, this is a very interesting matchup to me as well. Having watched so many big twelve games where, you know, solid defense was kind of the status quo. this this seems like it's gonna be fairly similar to a big twelve game. Like <laughs> you know, there's a the chance that somebody could go off from offense. But for the most part, like I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being like one of those Texas Tech Iowa State games that you know the winning the winning team is in the high fifties and the losing team is in the high forties. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. So, all right, let's let's move ahead. Kansas obviously uh, as the one seed is facing the sixteen seed Texas Southern. I don't think that anybody realistically except in you know in, in unless you're in that Texas Southern locker room, um, anybody really thinks the Texas Southern has a legitimate shot to win this game. Um, but. Looking at this game, what are you looking for from this game then? Because if it's not like the win, there's got to be something that we're we're hoping that we're going to see or, you know, some sort of precedent that can be set in this particular game that we hope will carry on down the road in the tournament. What do you think Kansas needs to do to be successful in this game to set themselves up for the rest of the tournament?
1: Well, the thing that I'm most looking out for is David McCormick's performance in the post in this game. Because you're right. I mean, everyone's picking KU to win. Everyone should be picking KU to win. And they're riding so high coming off of the Big 12 tournament. But David McCormick in this game is going to need to be big. A, because we don't know if Mitch Lightfoot's able to play. He did practice some on Wednesday. It was a full practice for KU before the open session that media and fans were able to go see. And Bill Self said, yeah, he was able to go, but he couldn't go fully. He did some work. It was sounded like it was a little bit more than he was able to do on Tuesday before KU got down to Fort Worth. So you don't know what Mitch Lightfoot is going to be able to do. If he can't go, obviously you're going to see more minutes from Zach Clements and from KJ Adams, which you might not see the rest of the tournament once Mitch Lightfoot gets back. We know KU is going to go with the shorter bench once we get deeper into the dance. So from McCormick, the thing I want to see is, A, if he is asked to take on a bigger role because there's much less depth behind him can he step up and maybe play more minutes than he would normally play if needed but also the big men for Texas Southern are athletic dudes and in fact Bill Self during his press conference he mentioned uh over the weekend that hey there's some athletes there for for Texas Southern we haven't gotten to watch them play but they've got some athletes and then on Wednesday he mentioned hey they've got one of the best big man combos that we have seen all year long I mean they've got athleticism that would match up in the Big 12, specifically with Bryson Gresham, but with John Walker as well, a pair of senior posts for this Texas Southern team, both of whom you have to watch out for. So in a game where KU should be able to win based on talent and coaching alone, not even needing their A game, they should be able to win. I want to see what David McCormick can do against some of those great athletes because I'm fully in the camp that we don't need to break down whether we're going to get good Dave or bad Dave. No, good Dave is Dave at this point. I am squarely in that camp, but I also want to see him no pun intended, because I know this part of his body is injured. I want to see him get off on the right foot, though, against guys who are athletic. Uh, also, Gresham, at his press conference on Wednesday, when the Texas Southern players were talking, he said, I hope the refs let us play physically, because I want to play what he called smash-mouth basketball. I hope they let us do that. I want to play that style of ball. I'd love to see David McCormick match up against that. I mean, we know he will go and bang with a bunch of the dudes who play in the Big 12 night after night. But I want to see him against a guy who he doesn't know, who he doesn't have as much tape on, who he hasn't seen before. So that's the one thing I'm looking for. I mean, I think KU can win this game with what their C plus, B minus kind of game. I mean, Texas Southern's gonna fight. That's a team that has a lot of pride. I think they've got a lot of like positive arrogance, cockiness. I mean, that's just kind of the vibe I got from the press conferences today. Nothing over the top, but a team that is very confident and they're probably going to lose. Again, KU can win this game with a C game. So when I look at the specific matchups, like we were talking about earlier, all the different teams and how they all have their one thing they can hang their hat on, I want to see David McCormick up against a couple of athletic dudes because if he can do that, he can do it well for... 22 to 25 minutes I don't know how much rest his foot is going to need or during the game if it gets aggravated again however long he's in there I want to see him be able to play that physical brand of basketball that's going to make me feel much more
0: comfortable going forward because if
1: he's playing well offensively specifically KU's offense is going to be humming against anybody
0: I actually find it kind of funny that you say that because I don't know that I'm so worried about Dave in this one like I don't expect him to get to get more minutes even if Mitch can't go I would be much more interested to kind of see what contribution you can get from KJ that you can get from Zach, um, you know, to be ready in case you need them. Because even if Mitch is able to come back, you know, in, in Saturday's game, um, if he, you know, it's not going to take much for him to retweak that if, you know, if he lands on it wrong and then he's gone for the rest of the tournament, most likely. And so you're going to need other guys to step up. There is absolutely no way that David McCormick can shoulder the load as the only big guy with, you know, Jalen Wilson backing him up with some small ball minutes Um, if that's the route they have to go because Mitch isn't available, like Mitch is going to do everything he possibly can to be out there. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, you have to, you know, figure out what you have just in case you don't have him because he is dealing with an injury. I I think I'm much more interested to kind of see who else can get going on the outside. I want to make sure that Remy Martin is still getting involved and actually looking productive and playing good defense. I think this is a good opportunity for Remy to continue to build on that trust that he's built with Bill Self. Um, you know, we saw him in, in 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 the second half of the Texas Tech game, a spot where he normally would have been pulled for DeWan Harris to come out because Bill Self trusts him more. So it feels like they're getting to the point now where Self is is able to trust him to be the guy to run it down the stretch in crunch time. Um, obviously I'm not expecting a lot of crunch time in this particular game, but you know, it, it would be good to see him get out there to continue to run the offense, to do really well in that sort of role, to make sure that that's carrying over from the big 12 tournament, because they're going to need that to make a deep run of the tournament. So I think that's, that's what you really want to do. I think is to try to get guys going, try to get guys moving um, and really kickstart some of these guys. You know, it, it'd be nice to see a guy like Christian Brown go off for 20 points. Cause it's been a long time since he's had more than, you know, more than like, 12 or so. Um, So like I I would be, I would be really happy about them doing that sort of thing. But then I also wouldn't be upset if they treat it like the West Virginia game, right? Where they got a whole bunch of people in that all played a whole bunch of minutes and you just kind of just had fun (laughs) and, you know, get everybody feeling good and feeling loose and, and ready for the next game. So there's a lot of different ways they can go here. I I definitely think if you're watching this game fully enjoy it because I don't think that Texas Southern is going to be able to to keep it close much past halftime. Um, you know, so you're going to get to the point where it's going to be fun and it's, you know, potentially, potentially going to get a little boring if Kansas just completely runs out and everybody's clicking. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's what this game is all about is getting as many guys clicking as, as, as completely possible. So that way you don't have to worry about the moving forward.
1: And one other note about that too. In fact, I've got one note and one stat for you too. The other guy who I think you could argue, you would love to see just, just for the sake of, you know, fan confidence or his own confidence, maybe. I'd love to see Ochaibaji get 25 points on, you know, shoot, give me a number, 10 out of 13 shooting or or something like that. I don't know, random numbers out there, but a day when he is truly efficient. I mean, you go back through his game log over the last couple of weeks, really, and against Texas Tech, he ended up with 16 points, went three of six from three. Four of 10 from the field overall. So, yeah, he went one out of four from two point range. TCU, he was fine, nine out of 17 from the floor. West Virginia, he was under 50% shooting and was just one out of six from three point range. The Texas game, obviously, senior day, we know how much he struggled from the floor. The two games against TCU at the start of this month, he went a combined 12 out of 36 from the floor. I mean, that is just not the Ochai Baji we have gotten used to seeing this season. So, against comparatively inferior competition it'd be nice to just see him go off you know it was kind of kind of make me think of one of those Devontae Graham games from his senior year when KU played some of those really bad teams early in the season and also Syracuse and he just lit them up and it just felt great that oh yeah no he's he's good he's good to go he's just lighting up crappy teams that's kind of the feeling I would love to see from Ocha today or on uh, yeah on Thursday today um my whole day is getting screwed up while I've been <laughs> traveling but just love to see him have a game where it comes easily to him because it won't. I mean, it probably in all likelihood will not come easily for him for five, four, three, two, or one more games after this one. So to have a game where he just goes, gets an easy 20, so to speak, and you don't really have to worry about it. That would feel good. Also, by the way, just a little note uh, in terms of competition between 16 seeds and one seeds, according to ncaa.com, there has been, since 1996, two games between a one seed and a 16 seed that were decided by either one point or one possession or in favor of the 16 seed. Obviously, the one that was in favor of the 16 seed was UMBC blowing out Virginia uh, a couple of years ago. And then in 1996, Purdue beat Western Carolina 73-71. to 71. Those are the only two in a longer period of time than I have been alive that have even really been close.
0: Yeah. That's actually kind of crazy. Cause I can vividly remember like when I was in college, UConn having some issues when they were a number one, like you remember the ones that were kind of close or I'm sorry, you used to remember the ones that were kind of close, but they couldn't quite get there. Um, and they seemed a whole lot closer until of course, UMBC actually did it. And now that's the only one that anyone ever talks about because it actually happened. So um, but yeah, I mean, kind of to your to your point about Ochai. The last time that he shot efficiently um, from the floor was the K State game on February twenty second, where he was five of seven from two and four of six from three. That's the last time that he shot over over fifty percent total from the field, um, which is not something that we really expect from a guy like him uh in in terms of the way that he's doing things so yeah it would be good for him to have a really good game to go ahead and get off on the right foot there so all right brendan i think that's going to do it for us today any any like one last final thought you want to leave us with before we get out of here yeah go enjoy
1: this game i mean i i know this is sort of a you know sunshine and rainbows kind of comment but it has been way too long since we have had a real tournament Uh, like i mentioned 2020 was canceled 2021 was a Mickey Mouse tournament in Indiana like it feels good for me and I'm sure for all the fans who are here and and other media members too to be here but just go enjoy this game because again I don't want to call it easy just a favorable draw to get to play a 16 seed in the first round but go enjoy this because KU is probably going to win hopefully ideally is going to win handily so enjoy it before things get stressful because I know the, the fan part of me is going to do that so just just enjoy the moment while you have
0: it. Yeah, and, and really to kind of piggyback on that, enjoy the entire first round, right? Like Thursday and Friday. These are literally the two best days in the entire sports calendar in the entire year because there's wall-to-wall basketball for two straight days. You get to hear about all of these great, like there's a ton of great Cinderella stories. There's usually at least half the games are actually really great games. There's there's always something for everybody in these first two days of the tournament. The fact that we get one that's actually a real, a real tournament now and not what we've had to deal with the last two years celebrate that, enjoy that, watch as many of the games you possibly can whatever your work schedule allows, but definitely enjoy as much of this day as you possibly can today. So, all right, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me and thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please to go out wherever you get your podcast whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, would be absolutely fantastic. If not, for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. Really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast or on Twitter at rock chalk pod. We are part of the anchor platform. So you can leave us a voicemail, get your voice on the show. I want some reactions from NCAA tournament games. So please head on out to anchor.fm slash rock dash chalk dash podcast slash message and leave us a voicemail so I can get you on the show here. Uh, we are part of the 1012 podcast network t- uh, covers all the teams in the big 12, a bunch of great content being put out there about all the teams, including we do talk about Kansas when I'm over on the Monday show on, on the, on the flagship podcast, but, uh, Go to 1012 network. That's T E N 1 2 network over on Twitter. You can get links to all those shows. But visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Promo code chalk12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. Um, Absolutely great stuff that they have over there. But that'll do it for us today. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
1: Hey there, 1012 Network listeners, this is Dustin from the Scott and Holman Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network, uh, my co-host Sam. Do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott and Holman Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's, basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston in their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that.